English football pause last week to pay its respects to the late Queen Elizabeth II. This past weekend, the games resumed for one last match day before the international break, with Arsenal set top of the Premier League pile heading into international week. Nations League and friendly matches are coming up in what will be a final get-together for the international sides before the World Cup, which kicks off in just under two months' time. England faced Italy on Friday night before entertaining Germany on Monday. Gareth Southgate's side had a horror show last time they got together, playing four times in June and not winning a single game. 4-0 humiliation against Hungary just about topped it all off. Selection issues are still a talking point to the three lines. And with precious few matches between now and their opening World Cup game, time is running out to get it right. Anita Abayomi joins me, Peter Staunton, for this episode of Football Digest. And we are delighted to welcome Andy Dunn, Chief Sports Writer for the Mayor, as well as Ian Doyle, Liverpool Correspondent for The Echo. Andy, let's kick it off uh, talking about England then. Um, not a great June. Not much time to put it right before the World Cup kicks off. Well, just these two games. Um, and then, of course, it's all in the lap of the, of the Premier League gods because all the players go back to their clubs, play an awful lot of Premier League and Champions League matches. Um, and then meet up again, what, eight days before the opening game of the World Cup? I mean, you forget how, how slightly bizarre that is, um, dropped into the middle of the season. No, not much time to put it right, but, you know, I was up at um, St. George's Park yesterday. It was their media day. We were speaking to some of the players. We spoke to Jack Grealish, Eric Dyer, Jordan Henderson, um, Ivan Tony. Um, we haven't spoken to Southgate yet, but we'll do tomorrow out in Milan. Um, and you know what the strange thing is? You mentioned there about the 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 poor run of form, about that thrashing from Hungary, you know, which seems almost surreal. Really, it's it's like did that really happen? And I think there's an element yesterday around their headquarters of well, they're not exactly airbrushing it from history, but they're saying, listen, you know, to all intents and purposes, those games back at the end of last season, um, end of May, beginning of June, um, or in the beginning of June, weren't they? In a way. You know, all, those games were sort of widely, sort of, I wouldn't say frowned upon, but not, and, and they were taken seriously. But, but a lot of the thought was that there were games that they could do without. So I don't really think, in the grand scheme of things, what what people in the England camp are, are thinking of, what they're taking into these two games and into World Cup 2022 in particular, is their form of the previous two tournaments. You know, Jack Grealish said that to us yesterday. He says, you know, what we're not. We're not taking that this little bad run of results and this what was essentially a freakish result against Hungary going forward into the winter and our World Cup campaign. What we're taking in is the fact that we were beaten finalists in um, in Euro twenty twenty in twenty twenty one, and that we got to the last four and you know we're maybe a little bit unlucky not to win that quarter, uh, semi-final against Croatia. So that's what they're clinging for. That's what they're clinging to is this idea that they have got big game, big tournaments savvy and experienced now the problem they've got is they have they developed have they improved you know if you look at the team from euro 2020 in 2021 and um, if you look at that team and go through it and think of how many players you know are struggling to get a game for their for their club team never mind for england and are out of form and that's the issue going forward the issue going forward which i'm not sure these two games against italy tomorrow and germany on monday are going to tell us an awful lot but how are how is England improving from then? Are younger players coming through? You know, can Maguire, um, you, you know, just maintain his international form and forget his disastrous club form? Um, and, and and other other issues. Calvin Phillips not you know, an integral part of Southgate's thinking for a couple of years, three years now, and he's not here. So he's got a lot, a lot of um, questions to answer, Gareth Southgate. But as I say, I think the general mood is. Look, we've done it twice now in successive tournaments. No reason why we can't do it a third time. And, you know, Andy, I'm with you with that. I, I was thinking as well that the England team will definitely be going into it, kind of thinking, OK, we've got into the Euros final. Let's go off the back of that. What happened in what happened with Hungary? Let's put that behind in the back of our minds kind of thing. But, Ian, I'll come to you on this. Southgate's introduced a couple of new faces into the team, 23-man or 25-man squad. Is that 25 or 28? I think they've changed it to 28. He's introduced a couple of new faces. I think people like Mark Gerhi coming in. Um, mm. We've got Ivan Tony as well coming in. All of these new faces coming in to the England squad and as, and as well as the um, different selection in the goalkeepers. Do you think any of these new kind of selections in this new England team can put England back into that form that they once had in the Euros um, last year? 
what I would say is, I think this World Cup's different with it being in the middle of a season. I think more so than ever, England and the other countries need to start looking at the players who are actually in form because, you know, they won't have had a break. They'll go straight into, as Andy said, what was it, eight days, uh, yeah. eight days rest. Oh, it'll just get together, isn't it? Just eight days. And the, uh, to be honest, the it's fact easy, that got, they, yeah. they play on the Saturday, Sunday, then play a week on the Monday. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm surprised that they didn't ask for that final round of Premier League games to get called off the minute that England got drawn out really, you know, one of the first groups, are they playing the first, well, the second day now, is it on the Monday? So they're one of the first games yeah. that gets played. So if they're in one of the later groups, they would have had another three days. But going back to the the players, I can't see there being any reason why anyone who's in form shouldn't get considered for this, more so than any other World Cup, for the reason that, you know, they're going to have to hit the ground running. They can't go through all these warm-up games because they're not having them. The only games they've got are these two that are coming up. And uh, to be honest, I'd completely forgotten about the games in June. <laughs> Because, because it was like because I remember at the time saying I actually felt sorry for some of the players because they'd gone and in, gone into that off the back of what was it the pandemic season and then they had the Euros and then they were straight back into the next season which for some of the players just went on forever you know and then they were asked to play another four games in June and then knowing that the next season this season was starting early so they got hardly any break so I'm not surprised that quite a few of the players either pulled out or weren't you know a lot of them were unbelievably tired so I wouldn't read too much into that but the I think you'd read a little bit more into what happens over the next two games I do think that if if something massively wrong happens you know against against Italy or Germany then you've got to think might be an issue here I, th- I think the other thing with England I think they're in this weird thing where they've got a lot of players who are like 24 and under and they've got a lot of players who are 30 to 31. And I think when they were at the World Cup four years ago, they had a lot of them in the kind of that, you know, the the peak years, say between 25 to 30. And I don't, well, obviously, some of them I've mentioned all of the players that they do have in that. It doesn't seem as though they have as many at the moment. And I wonder whether or not, not saying it's a transition, but it's going to be a lot more difficult for them to do what they did in Russia four years ago and in England last year, not necessarily because they're not playing at home, but because of the players that are available. Mm-hmm. Within within these games, Ian, then, um, what will Southgate be looking for? Um, obviously, there is there is a bearing. Obviously, there's going to be a, a knock-on effect if the results aren't right. They're going to get relegated from the Nations League Group A, for example, If they, I think if they lose to Italy. Um, and also, if they fail to pick up a win overall, they're going to drop down uh, uh, a ranking place, a seeding place, heading into your 2024. So results, there, there is still something to play for, that's for <laughs> sure. But besides that, what do you think um, Southgate's looking for? I mean, 180 minutes before the World Cup, that's not a lot of time, let's be honest, especially for the, for the new guys trying to make an impression and also for some of the older heads who are out of form, um, maybe to convince Southgate that they're, they're wor- not only worth taking but worth starting. We'll get on to the specific names in a minute, but from your perspective, Ian, what do you think he'd be looking for here? I mean, I don't necessarily think he'd be looking at individual players as such. I think he'd be looking more... If, if I had to pick one thing that England needs to improve on, it's all get nailed down. It's some kind of attacking, you know, not so much formation, but approach. I think that's something that, you know, defensively, I think they're going to be okay no matter who plays. I think it's going forward. I know they've got Harry Kane, who scored about a million goals for England, but you just look generally overall, what happens if he gets injured? You know what I mean? And that could easily happen over the next few weeks. And I'm sure we'll get on to this, as you said, the individuals, but that's what I'd be looking for. Some kind of way that they can play going forward that isn't necessarily reliant on one individual player. Or penalties. That's what I'd be looking for, yeah. <laughs> or a penalty kick, which uh, Kane likes to have. Um, I wanted to uh, just ask a question of you, Andy. On, uh, mm-hmm. With this squad, does it feel finalised now for the World Cup? I, and I'm talking specifically about guys who didn't quite make this one. Ben White's been in really good form for Arsenal. Uh, Conor Gallagher has had an up-and-down season for Chelsea, but to be fair, he's not really let England down any time he's played for them. I think he's had a pretty good start to his international career. And also, the wildcards, wildcard, Marcus Edwards, who played really well for Sporting against Spurs in the Champions League. And I know some Portuguese journalists who are very, very surprised that he's been left out of this England squad. Um, and as Ian mentioned, you know, pick players on form. Um, there would be few English attackers on better form at the moment across Europe in Champions League as well, uh, playing better than Marcus Edwards. Is it too late for these guys, Andy? You know what, Peter, I suspect it is. And and, and 
what Ian was saying here, I agree with about picking players on form. You know, if you're on form, you're going straight into a tournament. Surely that's important. I actually suspect, and I haven't dealt with Southgate now for, well, since he's, since he got the job, I'm before then, but since knowing the way he operates as England manager, and he obviously will always deny that he's negative, he's cautious, he's conservative. But essentially, in a lot of things, he is. And he is, you know, again, he would point to the fact that he's, he's called up so many different players throughout his throughout his um, his tenure as England manager. However, I suspect that um, if you... I mean, don't forget that he has a little bit of wriggle room in the sense that he can, and probably will, as all the coaches have been allowed, he can take 26 players now to, to, to the tournament. You know, which does... You know, he's never been an advocate of, of, of enlarged squads because, of course, you know, the, you say, well, why not take as many as you can? Well, obviously, the problem is is that if you're taking, you know, a handful of players who just know they're not going to be not going to be playing any football at all, you, you know, and then around the camp for five weeks doing nothing in Qatar, you know, can be a little bit possibly disruptive. But anyway, but he's got a bit of room there, so he's got so he's got more names that, that he can add. So he could have one or two wildcard selections. Marcus Edwards, for example, would fit into that category. I suspect he's got something like assuming um, fitness issues, injury issues. I assume. I, I, I would assume he's got about ninety percent of his squad. You know, pretty much sorted. We could all. We could all write down. Say he did take twenty three, for example, which he probably won't. But if he did, we could all write down twenty three names, and I suspect we'd all get twenty one of them. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it really is pretty much as straightforward as that. Hence, why, so he's not going to read anything too much into these um, games. Only one. New squad member Ivan Tony in, in this one. That is because uh, you know to give him a taste of what it's like in England camp because I had no taste of that at all. And he is a striking alternative to, to Harry Kane, you, you know. Um, and he's got a chance of making it. Um, but if you're thinking, yeah, yes, I, I, again going back, I would pick on former. I see players around like, for example, um, you know, who, who are playing well. James Scott Tarkowski, for example, is playing extremely well. You, you know, for, for for Everton at the moment, and considering the Issues we have in central defence in terms of, you know, Harry Maguire can't get a game, Tyrone Mings has got, got his issues, although he wasn't actually in the last squad. Um, I, you know, I think there's, there's, there is wriggle room, but I don't think you'll see many surprises. Um, he could be one Edwards, but beyond that, Conor Gallagher, well, Conor Gallagher's in the under-21 squad. And I think if you get as much as... Um, They've been making sort of noises. Oh well, like you know, it, let's hope he shows the same application in the twenty ones as he did in the seniors. Well, listen, if you're getting dropped, and that's what it is, if you're getting dropped to the under twenty ones for the only squad that's being picked before the World Cup, then it's unlikely that you're going to be um, in the senior squad again. Which I think is a bit is a bit harsher on Gallagher. But then he needs more game time for Chelsea. So, so basically, it's a long winded way of saying don't <laughs> expect too many surprises when Gareth Southgate names his squad. But do you know what? Okay, so this last squad that came out, right? You said don't expect many surprises, all of that. I was surprised not to see um, Marcus Rashford and Jaden Sancho not involved in this in this last one because it's not like they're not fit. They are fit. They're playing for Manchester United. Manchester United had a rocky start, but they built up the momentum, especially after that Arsenal match. So are we going to be seeing Marcus Rashford and Jaden Sancho going to the World Cup? Or is that something that England can kind of move on from? For this one, oh, no, 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 no. I mean, Rashford. I think Rashford is actually injured at the moment. So I, I, I mean, oh, I don't man. think he would have been. I think he is. I don't think. I don't think he would have been in the squad anyway, because you know, Rashford and Sancho were in the last squad, and you know, over a it's period of time, a since I, either of them, about a year since either of them have played for England. No, crazy. Exactly. And I, I, I and over that year, Peter, neither up until maybe the previous four weeks of this season. Over that year, neither of them have done enough to, to, to warrant inclusion in the England squad. Nowhere near. But he does like Sancho and he does like Rashford. You know, he, he's not afraid to go back to people that, that he's trusted in the past but has dropped because they've had a prolonged spell of poor form. Eric Dyer is a prime example of that. You know, He's not afraid to do that and, and go back and say, so So Rashford and Sancho, people have said to him when he's left them out of squads, listen, you know, it's there's, there's certain... I can't just justify everyone being in a squad because what they've done for me in the past, which is obviously why Maguire's in, you know, why he's persevered. <laughs> but Rashford and Sancho, he would have said to him, listen, you know, you're in such a poor rut of form, like they were for United last season, I can't pick you. And 
I think I think those pair, if they do perform now between now and um, the World Cup squad selection, they've got a very good chance of getting in. But it won't be a surprise in the sense that he's bringing someone new, like a Marcus Edwards or something like that. He's actually just going back to two players who were very much, you know, I mean, listen, both of, both of those lads took penalties, you know, I mean, as we, as we, as we, as we all know, you're in, 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 in 2021 in the Euro final. So it's not as though it, it, recalling them would be a big shock. But, um, and I just think they need to put four or five good performances together and they'll be back in. But did you know what? Sorry, sorry, Peter. Sorry. I'm a, I'm a big Sancho fan, mm-hmm. right? I, I really do adore him. And his time at Dortmund was great. But I look at the England squad and you you kind of um, hit the nail on the head with uh, Southgate selections and him not just bringing people because they've done a lot for England, blah, blah, blah. But bringing in Harry Maguire, who's had an awful season, absolutely awful awful run of games right and then there's the possibility of Jordan Henderson who's been awful as well coming into the team and I get you need the whole um seniors in the team for a nice little balance but at the same time we're still robbing people like Marcus Rashford people like um Jaden Sancho who have been working their asses off right to try and get back into this Man United squad and they've been doing pretty well as of recent so why is it that Harry Maguire Jordan Henderson they can continuously get their guaranteed guaranteed spot, regardless of, if, of whether they play. And even Calvin Phillips, I think he's played, what, 13 minutes this season, still gets that call-up. Why is that and they can't? Well, I mean, in, in, again, it, it's... It, it, Gareth will trot out the same line. You know, in the, those players, I've, I've, never let, I've never let him down. Maguire has been absolutely instrumental in two major tournaments for him. And also, the, in Maguire's case in particular, we'll come on to the other soon, but... In Maguire's pace um, um, instance in particular, I think he thinks that if he does play, you know, which he often does, if he does play to five, if he does play three centre-halves, essentially, then that that suits Maguire's game, you know. And whereas in the two, he's been exposed this season, he was exposed last season at Manchester United. He does, if he plays a three, I mean, I, I don't know whether he will go that, that the old three of Maguire, John Stones and Carl Walker. But if he's got Stones and Walker alongside him in, in a three, then Maguire can get on with doing what, what, what he does well, which is, which is, you know, win the balls in the air, challenge, you know, anticipate um, danger, but, you know, basic, basic defending. So I think Southgate thinks that, that that suits him better. But there is an element of that. I mean, you know, Calvin Phillips was the England player of the year for the 2021 season. Southgate loves him, you know, absolutely loves him, has trusted him, I mean, probably actually, you know, has trusted him as much as he's trusted Declan Rice, you know, in that partnership. So that's why he was willing to give give him a chance. I mean, clearly, it sounds like he won't make the World Cup anyway, I suspect, with this, with this having had this shoulder operation or he's having it. Um, but, 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 but in Anthony, he has certain players, and those are certain players who, who he, will, he will stand by, and he'll trust Raheem Sterling justifies his place on form, but also he's another who who is an absolute go-to player. And of course, you know, Harry Kane, but Harry Kane, you know, you know, he, 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 he justifies every single game he plays. <laughs> exactly. But just in terms of Rashford and Sancho, and the, and the difference is just quickly on Rashford and Sancho as well, he thinks in those positions he does have options. Let, let's talk about the Sancho, you know, position, not necessarily whatever side of the park he's going to play on or where across the attacking line he's going to play. He does have favourites such as Mason Mount, who he always goes back to. He has Phil Foden. He has Jack Grealish. He has Bakayu Saka. You know, they're, all, they're a lot in the Sancho the Sancho category, a lot in a lot pitching for those positions. He's quite well yeah. off in that area. And Raheem's playing on top of that. So, And that's why it's probably more difficult for Sancho. Whereas the centre-half in Maguire's for example, he's not that blessed, really. I mean, Tomori, I think, will be unlucky if he doesn't go... Um, and and you know after that he went on to see Chris Smalling for for Rome and he got beat four 0 by Udinese so <laughs> some of has been going for him recently. Well, that's one position Ian that I was going to come and discuss with you, uh, which is the centre backs. And I know that uh, Walker and Stones have been well. Stones has been better recently for Man City, let's say. And those three Maguire, Stones, and and Walker would probably be England's first three if they're going to play with three centre-backs. But there's a real alarming lack of depth, I think, in, in that position. So what I what I wanted to ask you is, is there an opportunity to start matches 
for the likes of Mark Way, who's um, done really well at Palace, and um, and Tamori, who's a regular uh, at AC Milan uh, now, title winner, and um, playing regularly in the Champions League as well. Is is the time coming now for a change under the guard? Or so close to the World Cup, you still think, so, okay, we'll take maybe the conservative option and say, okay, let's give him one more tournament to the likes of Maguire, Stones and Walker. Well, if they're not starting the next two games, they're not going to be starting the World Cup, I suspect. I think it's going to be important for them if they get get decent minutes in these next two games. But, you know, as, as Andy said, that is the Southgate way. He knows the players that he, he can trust. I don't think we can underestimate the value of experience, certainly international tournaments as well. It's totally different from all other games. And, of course, the one last year was played in England. So this is going to be in a foreign country. And there's not going to be a lot of players who played at the World Cup in 2018 who will be playing this time around. I think Sterling will be his third one, I think. He played in 2014, didn't he? In Brazil, so you know that's another another reason to take him as well as his form as well with Chelsea. So, but going back to the centre backs, it is an issue, but they all tend to be of kind of the same level. Like they're good, they're good centre backs, yeah. but they're not like not many of them are absolutely great. And I think you need at least one if you're going to go very far in these competitions, or you need a very very good tactical setup. Because there's been teams who've got to World Cup quarterfinals, semi-finals in the past who've not had you know absolutely magnificent players, but they've had it drilled into them and they're very well organised. So perhaps it'll be a bit more on Southgate and the coaching staff to come up with whether it's the three at the back, five at the back, they go to four at the back, whatever it is for that particular game to get the right system and the right players just to to get the job done. So the lack of, you know, as I said, they have got good good centre-backs, but the lack of absolute quality means a bit more of an onus on Southgate to, to get things right. But if the uh, you know if those two are... And I agree about Tarkovsky, by the way. I think he's done very well yeah. at Everton. But again, it's it's too late for the World Cup now, unless something remarkable happens in the next six or seven weeks. It's a lot harder for a defender to show great form and catch the eye than it is for a striker to... You can just go off and, and you know knock in 10 goals between now and yeah. November and get himself in the squad. Mm-hmm. I just yes. wanted to stick with you uh, for a second. Um, Anita, one name that Anita mentioned, she was surprised got called back into the England team was uh, was Jordan Henderson. Now, Anita, I don't think he's been that bad that he's like he should be a million miles away from the squad. But Ian, can I ask you is there is there a bit of surprise that you know when Phillips dropped out that Henderson was the one? Is there surprise around Liverpool that his England career is still ongoing at this stage that he was called up again? I think the surprise is the fact that he was fit given the fact that he's missed the last couple of games. So I don't necessarily think there's any surprise he's been called up by England. It goes back to that experience question. And the fact that, you know, outside of Liverpool, I think Jordan, I know he's not been particularly great this season, but I think we've seen, he, I'm pretty sure he's been carrying an injury for, for most of those opening weeks. And he hasn't helped, but the rest of the, most of the rest of Liverpool team haven't been particularly great. So yeah. there's quite a lot of things encountered against him there. But outside of Liverpool, I, I think people still to this day underestimate him. It's just because, you know, you, you don't play for a team like Liverpool for 11 years and captain them to absolutely every single competition they could possibly win and not be any good and play for England in a World Cup semi-final and come on in a European Championship final. So he has that experience, which because of the 26-man squad, I would be surprised if he's fit, that if he, if he doesn't go, because he'll be a leader in, in that. And, and I don't think you, it's also for the other players as well. You saw what happened but when you know during the pandemic and he managed to rally around all the other captains in the Premier League and, and he got the NHS fund and initiative. And he's he's quite you know, he's in, he's integral in things like that and the other players seem to respond to him. So mm. and, you know, if they're if they're away for four or five weeks, I don't think you can underestimate that. And as I said before, the fact that it's twenty six man squad, I think he'll he'll if he's fit, he'll he'll get in there and about eighty percent of you know, England football fans will get really angry. Because they always do anyway about everything. I like Jordan. I, I don't. I don't see the problem with Jordan Henderson. I, you know, I, I think he does. He's quite I mean, a fundamental thing, player, really. For, for the thing is, is that he's definitely, you know, he's on the downslide. But then he's what is he now? 31, 32. I think he's thirty-one. Actually, he's he got a few injuries, so it's not a surprise that you know he's not playing every single week for Liverpool. So he's not really playing every single game for England. But mm-hmm. Liverpool gave him a new contract last year, and he's he's you know he was still captain in a team in a Champions League final a few weeks a few months ago. So mm-hmm. you know, what an awful footballer. Do you know what, Ian? I'm not going to yeah. say what I want to say because it's a good, 
I, I just feel like, right, he, Jordan Henderson. Oh, go yeah. on. I feel like <laughs> he's, he's a class player and he's a class guy. And as far as seniors go, he's definitely probably one in the dressing room that people look up to and kind of have a rapport with. But at some point, we need to move on from Jordan Henderson. I, I, I personally did not want to see him in this England squad. And that's just me. I'm not angry about it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not angry about it. I don't think it... it adds anything to this team as per se but it would have been nice to just have Calvin Phillips there but of course we can't have him there he's injured so let me just move on and get Andy involved with the the goalkeepers there's been a huge debate on who should start for England right and I think it's, it's kind of a disservice to Jordan Pickford. I think Jordan Pickford, he's been great for England. And every time he wears that England badge, he gives 10 out of 10 performances, right? But Dean Henderson, Nick Pope, Aaron Ramsdale, they all have claims to be England's number one. At this point, every single goalkeeper, every single English goalkeeper is playing to the best of their ability. But Andy, in, in your eyes, what does Gareth Southgate do here? Well, I mean, first first things first, if Pickford is fifth in the World Cup, he plays, he starts, and that's an absolute given. I mean, there is, there is not even any any debates about that. Again, he's another player that Southgate will always say has, has never let him down. He's had the odd sort of blip here and there. I remember him making a, a couple of ricks when we won in Spain 3-2. Um, they didn't prove costly, but he, he loves Pickford, and he loves him around the squad. If he's fit, he plays, he starts, and he's done nothing either, Pickford, in an Everton shirt, um, recently, that would that would that would change Southgate's attitude. From now, he's been good for Everton, and um, and he's been good for England. So he starts in behind him. You know, I do think on the face of it, we look as though we've got some some decent options. Um, me personally, on what I've seen this season, I, Nick Pope would be my sec- second choice behind Pickford. Nick Pope would be my choice to play when Pickford's not available. Nick Pope would be my choice for for, for the game um, in Milan on Friday. Um, I like Ramsdale, you know, I, but I do think, and it's not unusual for a goalkeeper that he can be a little bit, I don't know, a rush of blood, quite hot-headed, you know, and that's and that and that is probably that is probably par for the course for goalkeepers. You know, there's probably more like him than than aren't like him. But Nick Pope isn't. I like Nick Pope's calmness. Um, I like his attitude, um, and he's a fantastic keeper. Dean Henderson is another one. You know, I mean, Dean Henderson. I mean, it's such a, an odd story to a certain extent. You know, a couple of years ago, I remember sat with Dean Henderson at an England camp, and he was speaking as though his accession to being England's automatic number one was 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 not a question of of if, but when. Um, we pointed out to him that he'd have to, you know, get into Manchester United team, but he said, "Well, you know," he, he sort of intimated towards that that was a that was a done deal. Something that was actually he he went back. And return to when he said that United had broken promises. I'm convinced a couple of seasons ago, when he signed the new contract at United, he was told he would be um, the first choice keeper. That never materialised. I mean, COVID had something to do with that and injuries. And he's another one who's absolutely, you know, I mean, brimful of confidence in himself, no matter how he's playing. You know, I've never seen goalkeepers saving penalties and then basically sort of like raising the cap to the crowd, like they just got a century at Lords or something. Like, I mean, he is, he is, so I like that confidence. But having said that, he's getting regular game time now at Forest, but he's conceding an awful lot of goals. You know, I mean, that's the bottom line. I, I, you know, I, I couldn't tell you how many he might be culpable for, but all I know is that it's never a good look to concede um, a shed load of goals if you're the goalkeeper. So to me, he's probably third in that queue. Nick Pope, I think, is, is definitely the one who will deputise for Pickford um, this weekend, well, certainly he, he, he can play different goalkeepers, obviously, in, in the two games. But Nick Pope, I think, um, is Pickford's backup. But Pickford plays if he's fit, um, absolutely. And, and I'm, I'm pretty sure he's probably, you know, had this um, had this procedure with it being in mind that he'll be fit enough to play in the World Cup. Yeah. Arsenal fans are going to be really... Arsenal fans are not looking like that, but... Where I am... Where I see it at the minute is, um, I think I think Pope's been brilliant. I'll tell you why, because you know I, I've I've been to Burnley watching games when when Pope's been playing in goal, and I thought, okay, great, he makes saves and he kicks it long, you know. And when he when he went into the England squad, I thought there's not an awful lot there as a goalkeeper, but from his transfer to Newcastle, I can actually see he can play the other way. So, you know, the, the players trust to go back to him. He can you know he can kick the ball off either foot short or long. 
you know, he can play in that possession-based team, but he hasn't really sacrificed that ability to make saves. I think there was one game where he, he, he kept them in the game with, with an unbelievable nine or ten saves. I can't remember who the opponent was earlier on this season, but he was absolutely brilliant. It may have been Brighton, actually. Um, so for me, I think I think he's a better goalkeeper than, than Pickford at the moment, and for me, he will be my number one. But, you know, as we intimated a, a while back, it's probably too short notice, I think, to to make that big change. I don't know. What do you think, Ian, as a, as, as somebody who, who's maybe close to the Pickford situation on, on Merseyside and, and knows how he trains and knows his attitude, his personality, what do you think of the goalkeeping debate here for England? Uh, what I would say is Ramsdale's an interesting character, isn't he? he uh, <laughs> he's, 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 uh, he's, he's good for television, let's put it that way. But funny enough about Ramsdale is that when he signed for Arsenal, up here, we were like, why on earth did he sign him? And I haven't seen him play. He was atrocious. I know he's playing for Sheffield United. And he, was it Bournemouth before that? It was Bournemouth, wasn't it? Yeah. So, but then, to be fair, at Arsenal, he's been very, very good. He still has those rushes to the head, though. And what, well, Pickford still has them as well. And that was a bit of an, a, you know, a bit of a problem for him when he first started at Everton. I think with England, he's played in a couple of international tournaments now. He's not, you know, he, Print to actually, you know, keep it together for that long in, in that kind of intense pressure. He's quite clearly England's number one. I, d- I think the rest are all okay, but you know, I, d- I don't think the rest of them are close to him. And I think it would be a problem for England if Pickford doesn't go. But obviously, as far as we're led to believe, he'll be perfectly fine for the tournament. But yeah, I'd probably say Nick Pope. I, th- I saw him play for Newcastle against uh, Liverpool when he got injured about thirteen times during the game. That's why there was about. 50 hours of extra injury time at the end, but the actual saves that he made, um, I thought he played well. And I, I also accept that point about, you know, the ball at the feet. I think they were quite happy to let him do that. And obviously at Burnley, certainly under Sean Dyche, he didn't have a lot of opportunity to do that, but then neither did many of the outfield players. Ian, just going to stick on you with Jude Bellingham, a Liverpool prospect that Liverpool are supposedly looking towards signing, maybe next summer, maybe the summer after, who knows? But Jurgen Klopp has had his eye on him. Jude Bellingham, do you think he will be able to make his start in the World Cup under Gareth Southgate? Does he deserve to start? Well, the first thing about Jude Bellingham is that everyone forgets he's still about 12 years old. (laughs) No, but he's unbelievably young because he started young and he's had such an impact from the first time that he played. I think he moved to uh, Dortmund when he was 17, didn't he? So he's only, I think he's only 19, isn't he? He's only 19 still. That's unbelievably young for a footballer. Most of them aren't playing in the first team in, in, in Premier League teams, but he's played in Champions League and he's been there for a few years. Obviously played at Euros last year. So I think we can't forget that. In terms of him starting for England, I can't see any reason why he wouldn't. Simply because I think it's I think I think with Bellingham it's about getting the right position. I think he's definitely not a defensive midfielder yet, and I think you never ever get defensive midfielders at that age. You just don't because they haven't got the you know the, the tactical know-how and the game and the experience of playing in this position. I think box to box is where he's best at at the moment, and if England play in a way that he can do that, or even like as an attacking midfield. But then again, England have got so many players who can play like Foden. I mean, Foden would be my first name on the team every single time for England. He's quite clearly the best, the best player. So it should build a team around him. So Bellingham, if he's going to get in, he'll have to play in that kind of box-to-box role. He can do it. I mean, he's already come on again this season playing for Dortmund. And I know, I'm not, I know I'll just address the Liverpool situation straight away. Quite clearly, Liverpool do want to sign him. They knew they weren't going to. They knew they weren't going to be able to sign him this summer because Dortmund weren't going to allow two players to go. And Haaland was already on his way due to his release clause, and obviously ended up at Man City. So I think Liverpool will want to sign him next summer. Whether they do or not, who knows? Because I'm sure there'll be an awful lot of other teams that will be interested in signing him, uh, especially if he does well at the World Cup, which I suspect, if he avoids injury and England do reasonably well, I think he will do. Yeah. I, I... Yeah, I, listen, he, he, he makes, I mean, you saw the goal he scored for Dortmund against Manchester City um, the, other, the other night. And that and that is the goal of a box-to-box midfielder. You know, he saw mm. that that opportunity, you know, he's got, he has got, he has got an eye for goal. You know, and he's got an eye for an assist. Um, and he is a very combative player as well. And, you know, listen, it, it looks, from the outside, it looks as though, you know, the combination of Rice and Bellingham Looks look, looks great in the central midfield. The only issue you have is that, you know, again, just going back 
to Southgate and in terms of his approach, in terms of his defensive um, ideals, then, you know, he prefers a Rice and Phillips. Now, as, as we've just said before, it's probably not going to be uh, Phillips through injury. So um, it'll be interesting to see which way he goes. But, you know, I, again, we're not reading too much into these two games. I think we've all established that. However, if Bellingham plays in, in these games and is outstanding, then surely even Southgate must think, well, actually, you know, I should be a little bit more adventurous here and have him in my starting lineup ahead of, say, um, um, ahead of whoever he would pair with Declan Rice, which might even be Jordan Henderson if Phillips is unavailable. Andy, do you ever think that do you ever, do you ever think that Southgate would take the risk of playing a more attacking team, on the, on the basis that you might score more goals, although you might concede one or two extra? Do you think that could ever happen? I, no, I don't. And I'll tell you what it is as well. He would argue. I mean, it's fascinating the arguments when we when we always do. You know, I mean, it bridles him so much. I mean, he gets riled so much when if you suggest he's negative, he's cautious. One interview towards the end of last season, for those June, whatever, I mean, literally, he had a half-hour monologue of, of why he wasn't, you know, he was actually Mr. Positive and Mr. Adventurous. He trotted out the goals. I mean, I mean it, we have scored a lot of goals, but it tends to be the fact that we scored 10 of them against San Marino, you know, and one against Germany, you know. I mean, you, so you can use it. It's the great thing about stats, isn't it? You, you know, the lies, damn lies and statistics. Because he can say, well, England scored all these goals, but we tend to score them against teams that we should. Hence, for example, in the last World Cup, we scored loads of goals, but they were mostly against, I can't remember now, Paraguay, wasn't it, for example, in the first game, I think we scored six. Panama, wasn't we it? tend Panama. to score a lot of goals yeah. against the teams we should be. Panama, yeah, yeah, yeah. We were Paraguay, yeah. another time. So we tend to <laughs> score a lot of goals against who we should and as few goals as we should against other teams, if you see what I mean. So we'll score one against Italy, one against Germany, and like umpteen against San Marino uh, and Andorra. But his default, and I'll tell you what, Ian, it's not... I think people should always remember that the coaching setup and the tactical setup is... Steve Holland, his assistant, is so, so influential in that. It, it, it really is. I know the manager has the final say... But it's a combination, like Southgate and Holland are, are, are literally twinned in their coaching ideals, and they will always err on the side of caution. They will always say, I mean, you know, it's an old, I know what you're saying, but they'll they'll come back to you with another adage, is that, you know, if, if you start by conceding none, you've got a hell of a chance of winning the game, and you've got no chance mm. of losing it. And that's what, what they took into the last two tournaments. Their defensive records were excellent. He would happily play. With the, I mean, listen, this this is a team. I saw John Stones against Dortmund play right back. And then the squad, I think, was announced the, the next day. So in theory, if we're taking John Stones' right, that made about, I think that made eight, eight players who could play fullback in that back line. I mean, he literally has almost got a team of fullbacks at his disposal. He loves them. I mean, he absolutely loves them. So he is inherently, he will always be, you know, Again, and he's got a point. You know, you go to tournaments and it's maybe not about, you know, how many times do we think it's teams, again, you referenced it before, Ian, about teams that are well set up. You know, I will go back as far as 2004 for the Euros with Greece. You know, they were just incredibly well set up defensively, just incredibly well set up, you know, and without any stars in the team. And I think Southgate always thinks, listen, at major tournaments, you know, um, defensive vulnerability is the worst quality you can have. And I think that's why you will find he will generally um, um, play with, essentially what you've got, he'll play with seven defensive players and three attack-minded players. And, and, and I'm afraid that that's, that's what we're going to get. Can I ask you a question? Goals because, you know, we, we have prolific goal scorers in the team and getting it forward quickly. You know, can result in goals. But no, it, 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 it'll be... Can I ask, this is an opinion-based question, right? Anyone can answer. But this kind of pragmatic, defensive approach to the, going into the World Cup, is it going to be sustainable throughout that tournament? Can that kind of football take us to, to the World Cup final? Can it bring football home for the men's? Is, is it sustainable? Because I don't see it as being sustainable. It's so not. And I'll tell you why. Because they've done this in 2018. They did it in the Nations League finals in Portugal when I was there. And they did it at the Euros last year. And eventually they succumb. Eventually they succumb every single time. Reason being, if you keep, if you keep asking good teams to take the ball and keep coming at you, 
they're going to find that space. Somebody will switch off. These things happen in all the big games every single time. Look how poor that Bonucci goal was last year in the Euros final. Look at the mistakes that Stones made against Holland in the Nations League. Look at the goals, that, the quality of the goals that Croatia scored in the, in the semi-final of the World Cup. It's an awful lot to ask in these high-pressure situations for the ball to be turned over again and again to really good teams and challenge them to break you down. And that's where I see the problem coming for England. To be, to be fair, though, they did get to the final of the Euros and the semi-finals of the World Cup, which is better than yeah. almost everybody, any other that England manager's done. So, you know, he's, he's not exactly wrong in what he's doing. It's just no. that, you know what it's like following England. You know what it's like. It's yeah. like, you want to win. And then when they start winning, oh, we want to win this way. You know what it's yeah. like? Yeah. It's like the same thing to say to so many club teams. And it's funny, Pete, you mentioned a couple of things there, and like the John Stones mistakes against Holland in, um, in Guimarães, wasn't in Portugal, the Nations League. Mm-hmm. And ironically, that was probably, a couple of those mistakes were, 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 were him trying to play it out from the back, you know, maybe trying to be a little more, more sort of adventurous, you know, and that, and that he won't be doing that m- much more to a certain extent. So I just think that, you know, and as he insisted, the fact is, the small things on it, I agree with you, the Benucci goal was so scruffy, but then on the flip side, it was also quite lucky. You know, there's a couple of fortunate ricochets there. I think, you know, Pickford was only undone because it had come down off the bar. I can't remember now, but it come, it ricocheted around, didn't it? So in a way, you could use the flip side of that and say, well, they were only, it only got taken to extra time via a very, very fortunate Italian goal. And in World Cup 2018, you could say that, well, you know what? They were 1-0 up and they had a chance or a couple of chances to make it 2-0 and put the game beyond Croatia's reach, and they didn't do that. And that's probably what cost them, you know, that. I mean, they they are literally, I mean, as, you know, goes without saying, fine margins. But I just don't see him changing the, the, the way, you know, I, I think he would rather be in a situation where he has to make the changes and bring people on if he has to be more attacking. Hence why you won't see you you won't see Grealish from the start um, and players, you know, of that ilk. I think, I think he'd rather bring them on, so... Um, yeah, I, th- I think we're with him. Um, it does frustrate him, though, you know. And, and I think, I genuinely think he, he, he gets to the point, Southgate, and he will get to the point where the criticism that he gets for being too cautious, and, you know, even though he can turn around and say, well, hang on a minute, I've, you know, this is what I've just done, um, will eventually mean that, 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 he, that he'll leave the job. I'm, I'm certain of that. Uh, so probably after this tournament, even though he's got a longer term contract. Mm-hmm. Um, wow! <laughs> I do. I do. I, 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 I don't think. He, I don't think. He, I think he, he genuinely. I think he genuinely thinks that the the, the, the criticism he gets and the the responsibilities he has to take. I mean, that's another issue about you know another subject which we'll we'll certainly see heading into Qatar when you know the England manager mm-hmm. has to become um, a sort of spokesman for all sorts of um, issues. Combined with the fact that I generally think, I mean, he won't say it, but I generally think that he thinks that he he gets nowhere near the credit that he deserves for the job he's done with England. I really do, and I, I honestly think that that eventually, plus plus he it wants a club job at some stage. I would have thought financially wise. I think the criticism will come during those group games because. Whether it's right or wrong, people will look and say, who they play in Iran, Wales, and America and think we should be beating all of those dead easy. You know, why is it, you know, and it doesn't work like that. Football does not work like that, but that's what people will see. So that, that's what will happen. That is exactly what will happen. England will get out of the group, but they'll do it like 1 0, 1 1, 2 1, or something like that. Exactly. Which against these yeah. teams is what always happens. We didn't beat Wales the last time. Um, you know, we, uh, when did we play? I, I remember playing. The US in the first game of um, 2010, wasn't 2010. it? 2010. Yeah. One each. Um, Stephen Gerrard scored, and then it was a, a goalkeeper mistake. Um, what was it? Scott Carson? Green. It was Rob, 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 Rob Green. Rob Green, yeah. Rob Green was that. That's right, yeah. So, and that's what happens, you know. But again, Southie <laughs> will, will, will turn around. We'll turn around, and he'll point to all the other nations, you know, all the other established big nations. And they've all got results like that in them, haven't they? You know, you know there's no mm. one Germany, Italy, Brazil, Argentina. They don't go around cuffing everyone 6 nothing. you know, every single game they should. 
I feel like there's an obsession at the moment with attractive football and playing the best way we possibly can, even if we get slapped like 5-0 or something, as long as we played well, which obviously it's not true. But, you know, it is it is what it is. You can't please England fans. Like you said, Ian, we always want something and more, especially when we're winning. So you're right. But let's look at our rivals, right? All the teams, all the nations we're going to come up against in the World Cup. So we've got France, we've got Argentina, Brazil, Spain. We've got some pretty good teams that we're contending up against. And Ian, I'll start with you. Who are your favourites going into this World Cup? I'd probably say Brazil, purely on the basis that Neymar seems to be in form. I know when it was on this last month, I spoke yeah. about him and said, and I think he's somebody that when he's when he's on form, then he can carry the rest of that team. Although they, they have an awful lot of good players. Um, I know a lot of people will say Belgium. Can never see Belgium winning anything ever, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> after that, France. I'm not having Portugal, sorry. Um, France. I think Argentina. You know, it's uh, Argentina. They're not that convincing to me. Although I think if they play the, they will. They're more far more likely to get far further if they play the way that England are going to be playing. Basically, you know, because I don't think they've got enough players to to play any other way. But in terms of favourites, I think Brazil. I think Spain. It's a bit too early for their team. I think in a couple of years they'll be good at the Euros. I think they went down a little bit, didn't they? After that. You know, they won a couple of Euros, won the World Cup, and it, they're, they're on the way back up again. But to name a favourite, I'd have to say Brazil. I've not even mentioned Germany there, have I? Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I'm just, I'm just, you know, that's just guaranteed that they'll, they'll get to the final, probably. Yeah. I, I think Germany, I think Germany, it's interesting because when we talked about those games that we'd forgotten about, those Nations League games, the four Nations League, game, four Nations League games for England at the end of, um, well, the beginning of June, um, um, the one game that I think you probably could read something into, the only one, which is the only one in which Southgate actually started with what you would suggest was as close to his first choice starting eleven, um, was against Germany. Um, was against Germany in Munich. Uh, a game that England drew one-one, yeah. but they were quite lucky to do that. And Germany looked quite good to me. I thought they looked. I thought they looked. And I look around the German team, and I think they've got. Some, I mean, some top talent, you know, um, some top young talent, and I think they be, I, I think they will be. If I had to pick the top one from Europe, it would be Germany. But I agree with Ian. I think Brazil, everything that Brazil have been doing recently, I agree with Neymar. You know, um, strangely enough, you know, considering all, all, everything, you know, he is actually probably a falsely, a falsely maligned player at, at, at some stages, and I think they'll be, they'll be so hard to beat. Um, so I would go Brazil and I'd go to Germany for um, for, for the top Europeans. Yeah, I'll probably go Brazil. I'll, I'll stick with you and um, Andy and Ian. I'll go with Brazil as well. But Peter, who who would you go for? Well, I hate sticking with the consensus, but I do actually think Brazil are, are great. If there's a weakness in the Brazil squad, I think probably I think they could do with upgrading their fullbacks a little bit. But that's not going to happen between now and then. But everywhere else, I don't just mean their first eleven, but they've got great strength and depth: goalkeeper, centre back, up front. I mean, look, they've excluded those three players from Arsenal. You know, they've excluded yeah. Gabriel. Uh, Martinelli and Gabriel Jesus, you know, sort of two months out from the World Cup. And if they can do without those guys who've carried Arsenal to the top of the league, then they must be doing something yeah. right. Yeah. And they still have the likes of Firmino, Anthony, Rafinha, Richarlison, Neymar, we mentioned already. The two boys from Real Madrid, Vinicius and Rodrigo. I mean, that is, you know, when you want to use the term embarrassment of riches, Brazil have that this year. Yeah. But, but, um, you know, the way, they are, the way the Argentina have played under Scaloni over the last couple of years, you know, you mentioned, should they play more like England? Well, they kind of have done, you know, it's all about defending well. I think Romero's been, from Spurs, has come in and done really well for them. Martinez, the goalkeeper, has done really, really well for them. They've obviously got a bit of international pedigree, of course, now winning the Copa America, um, getting the ball quickly to Messi. They've got good threats up front too with Latar yeah. Martinez as well and Julian Alvarez, who's done really well. So I think more than ever, probably, uh, certainly in the last decade, I think the, the South American teams look look quite hot. Uh, those two big South American teams look really hot. Um, from around Europe, I agree with Andy. I think Germany look really good. They're solid as well all over. And obviously with Neuer, and, and if anything happens to Neuer, they still have Ter Stegen as well. So I do yeah. think they've got solid base there. Rudiger is a massive leader in defence. Strength and depth up front too with Zane and, and uh, Nabry and guys like that. I think Germany look look really, really good to me. No, no yeah, Holland. 
No one having Holland. <laughs> they're a bit Europa from my liking this year, Ian. You know, they've got yeah. some, some really good individual talent, but they've kind of offset that with, you know, some Eredivisie superstars, you know, and you just don't know which way it's going to go. Um, I think they've got good players, but I'm not sure if they're going to get it together. And, you know, I'm so happy that you mentioned you don't think Belgium will get anything because it just seems like every single tournament, Belgium are favourites. And I just cannot understand why every time we're picking Belgium to win a tournament, they've let me down so many times. So, like I said, I'm going for Brazil and I'm sticking with you guys as well. If there was going to be a European team, it will probably be Germany. But I, I, I'm not sleeping on Spain, as per se. I do think Spain can maybe cause a few upsets. Andy, were you about to say something? No, I was just going to say. I, I was just going to say in, in, in with Belgium. I think you're probably right. In at the time, I thought their time was 2018. Yeah. You know, and I actually thought that strange enough, they were probably one of the best teams I saw at that tournament in 2018, and obviously ended up in the third place playoff, uh, beating um, England. So I think I think you're probably right on that. I think you, you, you mentioned so many teams there. I know you can probably say this about every single World Cup, but you know, I do think that it just looks, you know, incredibly. Well, it's bound to be incredibly competitive. But yeah. you could actually make a case for an awful lot of teams. You know, I mean, Portugal, Ian wasn't that keen on them. But, you know, I look I look at Portugal and I think, you know, you look at their teams. Listen, Ronaldo's not getting in their first choice 11, is he? Like, you know, and, and you're using him as an impact player. And I think, you know, I wouldn't, you know, I like the look of them as well. So it's, it's going to be, I, I think it's going to be, strange enough, I'm not, and, and it'd be a whole other show um, saying why it should or it shouldn't be in Qatar. But as it happens, I think the football will actually be good, the football on the pitch. And don't forget, it really will be a level playing field. You know, there's going to be no vagaries of different parts of the country, different climates, different atmospheres. You know, it's just all going to be played pretty much in the one place, you know. And yeah. So, so so there will be no, um, there'll be no excuses anyway, that's for sure. The actual football on the pitch, actually when it kicks off, will be good. The rest of it, well... <laughs> we'll see. Sorry, can we all be invited back for the Qatar one? Because I, I obviously went there for the Club World Cup for a week, and I and the, the, before that, I went to the uh, to some kind of promotional thing. But they actually took us out to one of the you know one of the the labour camps where the the workers oh, yeah. work. Oh yes, yeah, wow. so I went to there, so I saw exactly what that was, and that was three years ago. So yeah, I've been keeping a close eye on what's been going on there. That's where we're staying. It'll <laughs> <laughs> be all right. It's all right until you get to the actual bit where they live, and it's yeah, it's not great. Yeah. Do you know? Do you know what? Like Andy said, that would be a whole nother podcast yeah. discussion to talk yeah. about what's going on in Qatar. But we're going to end it there. And obviously, as always, thank you to Andy, thank you to Ian for joining us on this week's Football Weekly Digest. Um, guys, you listening right now? Let us know what you thought about this episode. Do you think Gareth Southgate is going to make the right decisions? Do you think Rashford and Sancho should make this English squad? Is Nick Pope or, or Aaron Ramsdale good enough to take over Jordan Pickford? Or do you think Brazil's going to win the World Cup like we do? Let us know in the comments. Make sure you follow us on our socials as well and just get involved in the conversation and we'll see you next week. Bye.